DMB On Demand is a love letter written to the music of the Dave Matthews Band and the eclectic family that passionately supports them. Hello, and welcome to DMB On Demand, where we explore the music of DMB and the family therein. Take a seat, get comfortable, and welcome to the best of what's around. Welcome to DMB On Demand. Hey everybody, welcome to Season 4, Episode 2 of DMB On Demand, the podcast. Uh, today our guest is going to be Joshua Morton. Our history is read by Perry Ritter. The way I heard it is breaking down the song Tripping Billies, and Bob Fusen is the guest for The Way I Heard It. And music is by Jesse Stone, as always. And the song for this episode and the stinger is from the song Pig. So just a note that we pre-tape our episodes in order to allow for a smooth and casual process in editing and producing the episodes. So you may hear some references and dates to days that have passed, just ignore them. Uh, I try to do my best to leave them out, but sometimes they bubble up. So just if it's reference to something from, say, January or December, that's why. I got a new mic. I dropped some serious coin to upgrade the mic, so the sound quality is going to go up for the news and updates portion for now. And then as the interviews near the end of Season 4 and into Season 5, I'll be using the mic for our interviews. I hope you're as excited as I am to have the upgrade in sound and quality. So we're changing our format a little bit. In order to make things easier to listen to, I've decided that instead of 10 90 to 120 minute episodes per season, we're going to split them up into parts and have 18 episodes that are between 45 to 75 minutes. That should skin down the length of the podcast to about an hour, maybe an hour and change. If you'd like to come on to the podcast, all you have to do is go to dmbondemand.com and click the button on the bottom right-hand corner that says create with us. Uh, We're currently taking requests to be guests on the show or to be a regular voice in the segment called The Way I Heard It, where you would break down a song for the listeners in that episode. You would choose your own song and just give your impression and share how it's impacted your life. With the podcast, uh, you could really help us out by going to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us a rating and review. Uh, Each rating and review helps us grow by virtue of the the love required to keep this going. So if if you think of it, please do us a favor and leave that rating and review. Now, the Etsy shop. We just rolled out... 25 new DMB designs, bringing the total number of designs to about 300 and the total number of custom DMB items in the shop to nearly 1,000. It's crazy. Uh, when I started a little over 18 months ago, I thought I was going to max out at 50 items and see how it went, but it caught on like wildfire. And so I just kept producing, 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 and now we're at a thousand. The latest updates have five or six new Dave and Tim uh, Cancun show designs that can be purchased as a shirt, hoodie, sticker, flag, and tank top. Uh, They're just uh, creative and fun designs 
for the shows in Cancun. And I'll tell you, the stickers are going like nobody's business. People are, are wanting these Dave and Tim Cancun stickers. Um, so there's also 30 new designs featuring DMV songs and lyrics. And should you want one of our designs placed on another item, like a mug or a bed or socks or jacket or hat and so forth, just reach out to us on the website or via social media or on Etsy. Also remember that we do custom designs. So if you want a fire dancer or text, such as your name, dates, lyrics, applied to one of our designs, I can absolutely do that for you and get it fine-tuned to your exact needs. Again, just reach out on Etsy or social media. Uh, most of the time, I don't charge for customizations if it's a quick request. I also build designs upon request. You just pick the song or the lyric, colors you like, and the style, and I'll bring it to life. Um, these ground-up creations are listed as a premium price to compensate for the time doing it but I've had easily 15 to 20 people do ground up designs and they've loved the results. They have a shirt they can wear that, you know, essentially they designed. Uh, it brings their vision to life. So it can be a little overwhelming with all the different branches we have at DMB On Demand. We have whew, podcasts, the shop, pics, posters, music, videos, lyric art, social media, it's a long list. So to make it easy, what I did is I made a Linktree account. A Linktree is just a place where you can have a hub for all of your different uh, branches of a brand and you can find them easily. So look in the guest notes for this episode and you'll see a, a link to our Linktree. Uh, it's L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash D-M-B on demand. That's L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash DMB on demand. You can always find us online at dmbondemand.com or the link tree like I just mentioned. Twitter, we're at DMB on demand. Facebook groups, that's facebook.com slash groups slash DMB on demand. And on Etsy, just go to Etsy and search for DMB on demand. I think that will do it for the announcements. So we will wrap it up and get right into some DMB history, and then the interview, followed by the way I heard it. I hope everybody has a good and joyful and healthy week ahead of them, and we'll talk to you next time. Before we get to the interview, we'll take a moment to discuss some DMB history and news. We will have links to all information presented in the notes section of the episode on dmbondemand.com. Hello, everyone. It's uh, time for some more Dave Matthews Band history, and we are jumping right back into the year 1994, picking up from last week's episode. And we are starting off with May of 94, which is when Dave Matthews Band began recording Under the Table and Dreaming, their first studio album, and their debut with uh, RCA. And they began with the recording sessions at the Bearsville Studios in upstate New York with uh, Steve Lillywhite, who at the time had worked with the Rolling Stones and U2, and of course would go on to be a very well-regarded producer for the Dave Matthews Band. And this would actually see the first time that uh, Tim Reynolds would be an official, uh, we'll say, session artist with uh, with DMB at the time, despite the fact that he had worked with 
Dave as part of like a, an acoustic duo, of course, becoming uh, Dave and Tim later on. And their own personal label, Bama Rags, would release recently on May 17th, which was a five track EP at the time. Dave Matthews Band would then celebrate uh, the release of Under the Table and Dreaming on September 27th of 94 with a hometown show at McIntyre Amphitheater, where the mayor of Charlottesville would proclaim it Dave Matthews Band Day. And the group would then embark on their first national tour and would also play their first European dates. Under the Table and Dreaming would debut at number 34 on the Billboard 200 and spent 116 consecutive weeks on the chart, peaking at number 11. The, the, uh, success, the success of the album's first single, What Would You Say, at radio expanded the band's audience. I'm going to say that again, Drew. The success of the album's first single, What Would You Say... Uh, no, hold on. Give me a second. Sorry. The radio success of the album's first single, What Would You Say, expanded the band's audience, and in November, Dave Matthews Band shot footage for the accompanying video, its first actual music video, during a return engagement at the Fox Theater in Boulder, Colorado. Moving on to 1995, the Dave Matthews Band made its national television debut in February on The Late Show with David Letterman, performing its multi... uh, Do it again. Moving on to 1995, uh, the band would make its national television debut in February on Late Show with David Letterman, performing its multi-format hit, What Would You Say? Uh, And over the course of the year, the band also made its first appearances on SNL and The Tonight Show with Jay Leno. And they continued their tour in support of Under the Table and Dreaming, crossing the U.S. repeatedly and in, uh, excuse me, touring Europe twice. And the group made its first headline appearance at Red Rocks, opening for the Grateful Dead at a three-night stand at Sam Boyd Stadium in Las Vegas and performing at Glastonbury and as well as Farm Aid, marking one of its first appearances at a large-scale benefit concert. So by the fall of 95 as well, uh, DMB returned to Bearsville with Steve Lillywhite to uh, Steve Lillywhite rather to record their follow-up album. Uh, and at that point, Under the Table and Dreaming had been certified four times platinum. Uh, and currently it is sitting at six times platinum. And so the band was again joined in the studio by Tim Reynolds and DMB finished up the record at Green Street Recording Studios in New York City. So come back next week to learn more about what happened with the Dave Matthews Band in 96 and their follow-up album, one of the fan favorites, Crash. Each week, we have an intimate conversation with a member of the DMB family. We explore how the music of Dave Matthews Band and the deep bonds within the DMB family have shaped their life. We come to realize that while each story is unique and the family as a whole is diverse, we are sewn together by one common thread. The members of Dave Matthews Band and the people who make up the DMB family are simply people who love. We hope you enjoy this week's interview. Hey folks, so this week uh, in season four, as you know, we're interviewing guests that either have been on the show before and they're coming back just to fill us in on their life and what they've been up to. And we talk about some DMB songs and there's also some new guests, but the new guests this time around are folks who uh, reached out to us organically to come on the podcast, which is really neat. 
because for seasons one, two, and three, for the most part, it was us seeking out people to be on the web or the podcast. For season four, it's people who sought us out. So it's it's kind of a neat evolution of uh, how we put this all together. And this specific episode, we had scheduling. Con- I had scheduling conflicts twice. So this is our our third try making it happen. And I'm so glad that we're sitting down today. Uh, we're here with Joshua. Uh, Joshua, before we get into the DMB stuff, I'd like to take a minute to let the audience know the the person behind the voice that they're hearing. So if you could kind of just tell us a little bit about yourself, work, school, family, hobbies, whatever you want to share, just to let them get to know you a little better. Okay. Well, geez, Louise, that's that's a lot. But uh, thanks. Thanks for having me, Andrew. Um, so yeah, my name is Joshua Morton. I always tell my students it's uh, Morton like the salt is the e- an easy way to remember it. Um, I am a, a teacher, a high school art teacher. Uh, I also coach wrestling, uh, and wrestling was definitely a big part of my childhood. I was a, a state champion in high school. I was a three-time All-American and a national champion in college. And uh, it was actually because of wrestling and kind of like the struggle, some struggles that I had with it that I that I found music um, in a time during my life in college when I was trying to like strike out a new identity that was different than the wrestler. Because from seventh grade through high school through early college, if anyone asked about me, the first thing that they would think of is, oh, he's the wrestler. And I got to the point where I didn't really like that very much. So um, I loved wrestling. I dreamed of uh, wrestling in the Olympics. Uh, that never happened, but uh, it, it paid my way through college. And um, I'm happy to still coach. I've coached for 19 years, last 19 years, which is the same amount of time that I've been a teacher. And um, I took a break from being a, an assistant coach uh, when my son was born six years ago. But I continued to go in in the mornings and, and wrestle with anyone that wanted to come in and wrestle with me. And uh, this year, my son's six, and we're just getting back into wrestling. We just went to his first little kid's practice last night. There was 70 children running around the mat, which was a little intense for me. But uh, wow. <laughs> uh, So it's I'm happy to share with him. Um, I have a wife, beautiful wife who has just started, she taught um, second grade in the same school district as me for seven years, but she has just started her own outdoor school, uh, curriculum-based outdoor school. So that's something new that our whole family has been working on this this last year. And then our big, uh, probably favorite pastime is music. My wife shares my passion for music. So in the summer, we do a lot of festivals, music festivals, where I take my art and I sell my art and then I give 100% of the profits to a scholarship that I set up for my art students. And pre-COVID, we were doing about, uh, summer's 10 weeks long, we were doing about eight weeks that we were on the road uh, as a family. We've been taking our son since he was six months old. So COVID taught us that uh, we need to take a break. Like we're both full-time teachers and then we were trying to act like we were full-time vendors during the summer. And it was just a lot. So we've realized that we still love music. We're still going to go to concerts, but we're definitely going to slow down a little bit on the amount of festivals that we bend in the summer and focus more on mountain biking, rafting, camping, other family things. 
So I think, I think that's it. Um, my family is the most important thing in my life and music and art are, uh, close second, close right behind. I think that's a healthy decision you made um, regarding slowing down and, and not trying to pull off the full-time vendor gig while doing everything else. But from what you shared, I was curious about one thing. I think most people will understand uh, and relate to what you said about not wanting to be known as a wrestler. A lot of people, most people, it happens in their teens, 20s, they're, they're coming of age and they want their own identity uh, could you speak a little bit more to that, maybe about how you were able to establish uh, yourself after shedding off that identity? Yeah, so the um, I think for me what it was is it wasn't just that I was the wrestler. It was that, uh, oh, he's the hard worker, and there's nothing wrong with hard work. And And now, like later in life, it's one of the things I talk about the most but I felt like my talent was kind of being overlooked, not talent. I don't, I don't really believe in talent. Um, my Your attributes. Yeah. The fact that I was, the fact that I was a good wrestler and not just a hard worker. And so there was a year like my sophomore year where I basically just kind of quit working because I wanted to prove that I could win without being a hard worker. And that really didn't go so well. I mean, I, I did all right, but, uh, Wrestling is a tough sport, and and if you're not doing the right things, uh, it's it's you're probably not going to win as many matches as you were. So um, I think for me, what it was is is I just wanted to be known as something besides a wrestler. Like wrestling had been my whole life; like my whole life was based on it. Um, I didn't pay attention to friends the way that most people do. I didn't really have a social life the way that most people do. And so I just wanted something else besides wrestling. I, I guess I got to the point where I realized that wrestling was not going to be the only thing in my life. And I wanted something else. And, and that's when I found music. Um, and, and music kind of helped me to forge this new identity of someone that was really into music. And then I started, I found live music and going to shows and that helped even more. And from there on, I, like, I definitely have a, um, What's the word? Oh, I'm kind of obsessive sometimes. And so when I like something, I really do it a lot. And so I kind of took the, the same attitude that made me a great wrestler and I applied it to live music. And, and I just wanted to, I couldn't get enough, basically. God, I, I relate 100% to the obsessive part, uh, especially when it comes to DMB. First it was, oh, this is a great band. And then it was, oh, there's a community here. And then it was start a music collection. Then it was, why not do a podcast? Then why not a store? And why not this and that? And it just gets building. It, like three weeks ago, I had to sit down and really uh, prioritize what I'm doing here with all these facets because it was starting to take away too much time from family. And that's something that I just can't have, but I completely understand when you say obsessive with, and it doesn't just apply to that in my life. Like you, I'm always tempted to go all in on something before I even really know what it is. I haven't explored it or charted out or pros and cons. Um, but let's get into the DMB content a little bit. So there's a, a lot of great artists out there. And I ha I know for myself, I have certain bands or singers that I listen to when I want certain things. Like, for example, if I want to listen to a CD that I feel like was made for me, like it knows every fiber of my being, 
it's the first uh, self-titled album from Hosier. Uh, if I if I want to be lifted up, I listen to Shaky Grays. These kind of things. But when I when I want to just feel better, I t- I tend to to lean towards DMB for that. When I when I need to be reminded, even when I don't need to be reminded, but especially when I need to be reminded that you know we're here to love and do something with it. Get off your butt and go do something with it. I I get that from DMB. So of all the artists out there, what does DMB? I, I hate to. It's a cliche question to say. What does it mean to you? But but how do you interpret the music of DMB and how do you apply that in your life? Yeah. So I get asked this question a lot, especially at um, festivals by people, and I always tell people that um, DMB is my heart and soul. Um, there's other bands that I like, like fish is, I don't think there's anyone that can do what they do, both sound and lights string cheese is like just my overall fun. I like to dance. Uh, those are definitely my three favorite bands, but, uh, not, not to interrupt you, but are you, are you also a Keller Williams guy? Um, I like Keller Williams, Keller Williams. Yes. Seems to fit in with those, those guys. Yep, Definitely. Um, but but I always tell people that that Dave Matthews Band is is my heart and soul. Like what the things that he says, the passion that he says it with. Like when he talks, I listen, and a lot of the songs just um, they 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 speak to me on a on a really uh, personal level. That makes sense, and uh, I guess. The question that I'm aiming at is is when that music speaks to you, what is it saying? Like, what what's the interpretation of it as a whole? Um, you you kind of hit on it, uh, and it's part of the reason that I started the scholarship. Is you know, like love is huge, helping other people is big that there's something more than us. We might not really be sure exactly what it is, but there's something more than us and that we are all connected. I think our major themes in a lot of my favorite um, Dave Matthews band songs. And then just that idea of like helping, helping other people, being nice to people. I remember I used to always go to shows by myself and I like to go to shows by myself because there was no one I had to worry about and I could do whatever I want. And if I wanted to move spots, I could move spots. And I normally didn't, I just danced. I didn't pay attention to anyone. I didn't talk to anyone. I was just focused on the music. And then in 2005 um, was the first time that I actually did all three nights at the gorge. And I just rolled in by myself again and I got, just randomly set next to this huge group from Boston. And there was probably like 15 of them. And they basically just adopted me. And I didn't even have a pop-up back then. And they, they just like took me in. They fed me every meal, even though I had food and I had money to buy food. They fed me every meal. We hung out the entire weekend. Um, and that's when I realized the connection that you can have with other people. And then that same year, I turned around. And I went to Red Rocks and same thing. I get to a campground, I show up and my neighbor across the way comes over and he's like, Hey man, what's your name? He like just starts talking to me, like, come hang out. And again, they just, they just adopted me. They, they fed me every meal. I don't know if I looked like I needed to be fed or, or what, but 
these people were just so kind and you have that instant connection where like you just start talking about shows. Oh yeah, I was at that show. What do you what do you think about this? And even though you didn't know each other then, you have all of these stories and uh, that are in common just instantly. Wow, so there's a lot to unpack there for me. Um, we're gonna go non-linear with this interview. I usually have an idea of the questions I have to ask and they're they're in an order, but I hate sticking to any sort of script. So we're gonna go non-linear with it. Um, first of all, I went to the Gorge in 2019 for the first time and all three nights. And just like you, we didn't camp because we were living close at that point. There was like 20 people behind us and and they were happy and having a good time and, and drinking and eating. And they just kind of enveloped me and my wife. And all three nights we were at the same spot and just treated us like family. It's, it's crazy. It's a similar situation. Um, so usually in the middle of the interview is when I get to this question, but we're going to get to it now. So you're a, a DMB fan. First, you listen to the music and it's good. Then you kind of get obsessed with it. And uh, then you start becoming, you know, more serious about the band. And then you discover, like you said, there's this network or connection from people all over. And to be honest, that is what that idea is what started this podcast at the gorge that year. I looked out at all these people and thought, you know, something's bringing us all here. The music has in, in, impacted our lives so much that it brings us to this live event. And so there has to be a connection there. And suddenly I wanted to know everybody's story. And that's kind of what ended up becoming the podcast. So my question for you, I don't know if that was your first experience with the DMB family. Um, if so, you can talk a little more about it. But if not, when did you first realize there was this connection, connection of people underneath the surface, our surface that, that absolutely just loved everybody. When, when did you first become aware of that? Yeah, so like I said earlier, those first six years, I was just totally solo and happy to be solo. And I realized that everyone loved the music, but I didn't see the family part. And so it was that year, it was 2005. And then, so 2006, I go back to the Gorge again. So I consider the Gorge my home venue, even though it's an eight hour drive one way. If a band that I like goes there and they play at least two nights, we're going. So um, yeah. in 2006, I go back to the same campground. And again, I get randomly set next to these people, same thing, they take me in. Um, we hang out the whole weekend, and then now I am, geez, 2005, how many years later? Uh, 15 years later, we're still friends with that family. We've gone to birthday parties. We stopped by their house to see them on the way home for Christmas. We've gone to other concerts with them. Like, they have just become uh, close, personal family friends of ours. And also, in the town that we live in, my wife and I, for a long time, we were kind of like struggling finding our tribe. We've both lived here for a long time, but we just like, we were like, what is up? What's wrong with us? We don't have any friends in this town. We have all of these friends that we've met going to concerts, but they all live in, in different states, sometimes across the country. Um, but, but it took us a long time to find friends in our own town. And we finally did, but we still have this great group of people that we've met all over the country. And then when you, when you hit a certain type of person where it's just that instant connection, it's really easy. And you have a great weekend with them. It's really easy to be like, Hey, next time you come to the West coast, let me know. Or, 
next time you go to the same festival, you like hook up with those same people. So that plus vending, um, I've made, we have made a lot of friends all over the country. I just went to see uh, Twiddle last week and this guy next to me started talking music, goes to, goes to the uh, DMB for the gorge every year since they started, goes to fish at the gorge every year. So again, it's just like this instant connection makes it really easy just to start talking to a stranger. Yeah, I think that's the best breakdown of, of the DMB family I've heard on the podcast. So let's roll back the time a little bit. Uh, what song first made you curious? I'm not talking about the song that made you go all in. You know, what song broke through the filter and made you ask, like, wait, who were these guys? Uh, so much to say on Crash. Like that album, just that whole album. My roommate had it. Uh, I think it was 1996. Like, I feel like I had heard them on the radio before, maybe like satellite or something. But I came in the door from class and, and my roommate had just started Crash and like, or, or the album Crash, so much to say is the first song. And just from the opening lick, like, I was like, what is this? And then once Boyd started playing the violin, I, I, it just kind of like blew my mind. And then, I started, I went backwards, went to the record store. This is back when there was, you know, record store was pretty much your only option. What are, researched what are the other albums that they have, went and found those. Not long after that, they came out with Red Rocks 95 and that first Dave and Tim uh, live at Luther College. And I was in the Forest Service at that time. And so I spent a lot of time um, kind of like by myself, had a lot of time by myself to listen to music. and. Um, I just went all in on Dave there for a few years. So typically I ask uh, what first got somebody curious and then the follow-up question is, you know, what moment did you know you were all in? But it sounds to me like when you first discovered him was the moment you were all in. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I don't, I don't know that I've ever had that same instant connection with an entire album the way that I did with, uh, with crash. I mean, there's been other albums that I don't have to skip songs, but a lot of times the first time you listen to an album, like if it's a band you like, you like most of it, but normally there's a song or two that you have to skip and then you listen to it a few more times. And then you, a lot of times you learn to like it, but there haven't been, you know, I can probably like a handful of times where there's been an album where, just the whole thing. And, and then the sounds that they were making, I feel like at that time period were really new and, and a little, I felt like unusual and I hadn't heard this before. Um, and the rhythms and just the way that they were putting everything together and Dave's voice and the way that he uses his voice, almost like an instrument, like it blew my mind and it caught my attention very quickly. That's for sure. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about live music. You've touched on it um, a few times already. And what I'm, what I'm trying to get is your favorite live concert experience um, outside of, of what you've already shared. This question is more along the lines of an experience between you and the band at a live show. The energy was just right. Uh, it hit you just right. Something along those lines. What's been your favorite live show experience with DMB? 
Um, I think I'd probably have to say uh, Red Rocks in 2005. I, I got in there early. I got a sweet spot. Um, I liked the set sit, the set list. The, the crowd was really into it. The people that were around me were really into it. You know, there's, there's those shows sometimes where your neighbors are talking the whole time or something's, there's commotion, you know, if something's going on to distract you. And this was one of those nights where there was nothing to distract me. Uh, it's another reason that I like the gorge so much is those, those terrace spots. If you put in the work to get one of those terrace spots that are right below like the pathway, uh, those are normally hardcore fans that also put in the work to get those spots. And there's it's normally like you could drop a pin, which is one of my favorite things when the people around me shut up and actually listen to the music. Um, so, but that night at Red Rocks, that's what I had. I had just this elevated view, which is another one of my favorite things. No heads in front of me. I was standing like off to the side, like right on the edge of, of one of the little block things that the trees are in. And so no heads in front of me, room to dance and everyone around me was totally engulfed in the music. And so that was probably my number one Dave Matthews band experience, live experience. I think we'd be good concert buddies, man. I, uh, I'm the same way as you. I get, I get fixed on the music, dancing, um, and, and the quiet songs. I don't want a whole bunch of talking go around me. It, it pretty similar in, in that regard. So, um, all right. If you, every band, or let's just stick to DMB. With DMB for me, uh, I have, you know, my current favorite song, whatever I'm feeling in the moment. But there's always one song that goes through the filter and stays at the top of your mind over the years. For me, it's number 27. Uh, if I had to pick my favorite, that would be it. It's been through my filter and identified with my soul and I, I lean on it and play it more than any other song. You have a song like that with DMB where it kind of stands alone above the rest. I was, uh, I was thinking about this cause I, that seemed like a question that someone would ask and I don't know. I, um, I've, I've got like maybe a 10 songs that are like that, but, uh, for me, I would say that it that it would probably be um, the Lily White session album, um, specifically those virgin those versions. That the rawness of that, the fact that I had to go on Napster, which I had not used at that point, and try and figure out how to use it in the first place, and the idea that it was these leaked like it was kind of like this secret thing, these leaked songs, and then just the songs on that album are. What um, haunting, haunting is the word that I would describe some of the songs on that album. And so anything from that album is a, for me, is always pretty up high. And I guess if I had to pick one, I would say um, Bartender is probably like my go-to song. My wife knows that when I die, I would like that song played at my funeral. So it's, it's definitely one of my tops. I think you may have cut out a little bit. What song is it? Um, it's Bartender. Very nice. Very nice. That's, that's one of my, my top fives as well. I, uh, for me, I grew up a really devout Catholic. And uh, so I kind of look for the spirituality inside of the music. And when you get to like 
the maker with John the Baptist or bartender or warehouse or deed is done, even the darker songs, you know, that, that has an inference to God or, or spirituality. I, I cling on to Ehi is another one, uh, but bartender is, uh, is up there for me as well. I had a question. You were um, talking about the Lily White sessions and I'm trying to find it right here. Just give me one second. Um, I think it's Baston or Batson. Have you have, have you heard of this the CD yet? Batson or Baston sessions? Yes. Okay. You, you mentioned Lily White, and I wanted to make sure you'd heard of that as well. If not, I was going to give it to you. Um, I, I agree with you. I, I I appreciate the rawness of it. It's it's not shiny and polished. It's the raw music that they played. So I'm I'm with you on that. Let's uh. Let's stay on the same train of thought, but let's talk about lyrics. And to me, that's even a, a harder question to answer than songs because the man is a gifted lyricist. And at any given moment, he can say something, even if it's Yoda-like in its delivery, that really speaks to me. Uh, and I, I have one that has stuck out and has become part of my moral compass. Uh, do you have any lyric that hit you so hard that it's forever ingrained in you? Uh, yeah. So for me, the, um, the songs where he talks about spirituality as well, I really gravitate towards those. And I don't know that I'm going to be able to just pull this out of my head, but there's a specific version of Bartender where in the outro, I, I think it's Fenway Park. Um, where he talks about, uh, God is not above you. And, you know, sometimes he's hard to, he's hard to understand speaks Davinese, but, yeah, that, uh, that's, that, that you're right on, on it being Fenway. You were right. Okay. So that, that God is not above you. God is not above you. Realize, realize God is in you. God is all around. Uh, again, I don't know if I feel bad because I actually did a painting with, based off of that specific version and the lyrics were in the painting. But I mean, that's the gist of it. Like, um, God is in you. Uh, God is not above you. God's in all of us basically. So that, that version specifically, but a lot of his songs, it's, it's so funny because they, they say that he's agnostic, but it sure doesn't sound like it to me. Like I, I definitely feel like he, he believes in something. I know he's had some some real challenges in his life that probably made him question his faith. But um, when I listen to some of his songs, he's, it sounds to me like he believes in, in something more than us. Yeah, you know, and, and it's possible he is agnostic. You know, I like I said, I grew, grew up Catholic. I, I'm not anymore. I don't consider myself one. But the remnants are still there. That stuff doesn't leave you fully. And so just like with DMB and listening for the spiritual aspects, uh, I, I can because he, he was a, his family were Quakers. And so if that's ingrained in him, then there still has to be little glints and, and shimmers of that left inside of him. And, and that's how I think it comes out through his music that uh, he was one thing and now he's another, but that first thing it, it, it stuck with him. And I think that's why we, I could be totally wrong. It's just a guess, but I think that's why we get those hints of spirituality in, in the music. Um, what if somebody was not familiar with DMB 
and you were getting ready to play a song for them to turn them onto the music. And I know it changes per person. Um, so it's a, little, it's a little vague. I'll give you that. But what song would you choose to play for them? And, and what would you tell them about it before you click play? <laughs> uh, so when I met my wife, um, we're floating down the river and we're just talking about life in general. And she tells me how she loves the violin. And I'm like, oh, so you must love the Dave Matthews band. And she very quickly gives me this like dirty look. And she's like, no, I do not. They're horrible. And I'm like, oh boy. Uh-oh. But um, so the first song I played for her is Bartender. And uh, she, she asked me, I don't remember when it was, but she asked me to shut it off at a certain point. But I, like, I just, I didn't quit. I kept, I kept coming. And then like a couple days later, I played Say Goodbye. But before I played it, I was like, this song makes me think of you, except for the part of going back to being friends. Forget about that part, but everything else about this, this song makes me think of you. And I would say it was probably a week or two in, I played Bartender again. And she got it. And once she got it, you know, she was just like all those people. It's cool to hate on the Dave Matthews band. And I feel really bad for them because they got a bad rap late nineties, early two thousands. Part of it was, was some of their fans. Um, but, uh, they just do not, in my opinion, they do not get the credit that they deserve. And I hope that one day they do because they deserve a lot more credit than they get so it did she likes music she loves music and she loves good music and it did not take long to convert her and then pretty soon she's asking about certain songs and it's it's so fun to um be able to watch a new fan go through and like geek out on songs that you did the same thing like you know 10 years before and then they're asking oh what about what about this song or Oh my gosh, I listened to this specific version. And when they start saying things like that, like I listened to this specific version and I really liked the intro, you, you know, you got a fan in the making. Yeah, so completely relate on all, all points there. Um, and kind of going backwards a little bit to the spirituality is leading into the next question. Um, there was a moment in my life where after I had let go of my faith, I decided that I wanted to find it again. And you would think that something that you want to find is going to be easy to find because you want to find it. Just like with everything else, it just doesn't get handed to you. But, uh, you know, that's what started me searching for faith again was a specific version and a specific verse of bartender it was many years ago i heard it and it like it it sparked something inside of me and that spark is now looking for tinder to build into a fire uh, and when that happened i was at a particularly low point in my life uh, I, I won't get into it because it's not a podcast about my you know personal struggles but have you had a, a, a moment in your life that was low or just a, a bad stretch of time? And during that time, there was a song that either impacted you then and there, or you heard it later and then you looked back and were like, oh, okay, that, that applies for sure. 
yeah, there was um, there was a time where where I was having some struggles, and I was going back home for Christmas, which is ten hours away, and I had just got the uh, the P- the live Piedmont Park album and Warehouse, the intro to Warehouse on that one really kind of caught my attention right there. I think I did one of those things where like I listened to it and then like rewind, didn't even continue on with the song, like rewinded back to like listen to what he said. And in this version, in my opinion, he speaks very clearly. Like you can hear exactly what he's saying, but I've with, I've had like with my wife one time I played it for her and I was like, what do you think he's talking about? And I've done it with some friends and stuff. I have a definite opinion of what I think he's talking about. But uh, that song for me, uh, on that particular trip, um, I don't know that it it didn't make anything better because <laughs> because I was struggling a little bit right then. But um, it just it it stood out in my mind for sure. Flip side to that, um, I've had many days that were good with uh spent with family and friends my wedding day uh, i had quite a few good time vacations uh and dmb has kind of been the soundtrack for it and i'm grateful grateful for that uh but there's one moment in particular in one song that was just me at my absolute i don't, I don't even want to say happiness my heart was most full and there was a song that was playing at the time and it's forever tied to that event for me. Do you have a, a good memory uh, of a good day that stands out that a DMB song um, impacted or, or looks back to and, and affirms the, the goodness of that day? Um, probably when I met my wife. And that, that day, it was pretty new. I mean, probably just had only known each other for like a week. And when I met her, she had a boyfriend. And so it was that, that morning, it was morning. And I was like, okay, I'm going to play you another Dave Matthews band song. It's called Say Goodbye. And I want you to listen to these lyrics really closely, except for the part about going back to being friends like that. It's that new love, you know, you, you just met someone, um, the power of being in love and then throw being able to like share your favorite music with someone who it, you can see in their eyes is like starting to get it. Um, that, that was probably my, my favorite memory. So we're going to get a little more serious here for this next question. Um, so the fact of the matter is that, it is just a shit 2021 for a lot of people. And I know looking back to 2020, people thought, you know, this is the bottom of the barrel. And then 2021 came and things are getting easier. You have people that are losing their jobs. You have people that can't pay rent. You have people who aren't going to be able to do Christmas this year. Case in point, if you don't think it's real and you don't think somebody around you is impacted by it, I'm putting on a second annual gift exchange, DMB Family Gift Exchange, and I sent out emails to everybody that uh, did it last year, and I got four emails back, four, saying they would love to, but they just can't afford it because they lost their jobs and had to find something else, that they have something else, but 
It's just not enough to be able to support their family on a very basic level and have $25 for a gift exchange. Now, A, we were able to get them in on it regardless. Um, there was no way we're going to let that stop them. But B, it just floored me that, you know, this stuff is it's real and it's around the people you care about and it's impacting them on a serious level. And so logic just sort of dictates that of the people who are listening to this episode, of them, there's going to be a handful that have, have lost their job or had to take on a second job or just have a strained relationship with their family going in the holiday seasons or they lost their family in the past and they're getting ready to go into holiday season. There's, there's a lot of ways people can get to misery. There's a lot of roads that read, uh, that, that go into misery. There's only a few that comes out of it. So if there's anybody listening, what in that situation, um, in any sort of heartbreak or, or despair, what song would you tell them to listen to? And, and why would you have them listen to that song? Well, I'm going to I'm going to turn that question a little bit and I'm I'm going to add that if there's anyone out there listening that is it's struggling for whatever reason um if if someone reaches out to me and and Andrew you can feel free to to share my um email with with anyone that reaches out to you but if if someone reaches out to me with a story that touches me, I would love to, uh, to send them some free artwork for Christmas. That's one of my favorite things. Uh, I love Christmas. I always have, I got a six year old and, uh, it just bothers me so much with all the focus on presents. You know, what, what am I getting? What am I getting? Me, me, me. Yeah. And from the very beginning, we've been about, that's not what it, this is about. It's about giving and it's hard to explain that to a, to a child. So last year, what I did is at our high school every year, we, we do um, for families that are struggling, they, uh, they do where you can get a present for specific families that go to our high school. And so I had him sit down with me and actually go through the list. They made it really fancy where you could actually go on Amazon and they had uploaded exactly what these kids wanted. And so he helped me pick out all of the different things that we, all the different gifts, toys, basically that we were going to send to other kids. And, and I made sure to explain to him, this is what Christmas is about. Not the presents that you're going to get, but the kindness that you can give to someone else. And the idea that, that they'll never even know that it was you that did it. And to me, that's what Christmas is all about. Yeah. So folks, just to follow up to that, um, at the end of the episode, we give our guests a platform to talk about whatever it is they, they want, you know, the listeners to hear. And then involves, you know, charities, events, organizations, um, stuff like that. And we put uh, those in the show notes on the page. They so can go to the episode page and get links to his social media or anything we talk about in the episode. And, and I'll make sure to put a section in there uh, specifically about Christmas and, and the ability to contact him will be on the episode page. So just check that out and uh, we'll have all the links for you. Um, so let's do, it's kind of cliched, but you know, it's interesting. Let's do Stranded Island, three songs, only three songs. Go. Uh. Well, I've always said before 
that I don't know that I would do that to myself because if I had to listen to only three songs, I might, I might not like those three songs anymore for the rest of my life. So if I got to pick only three songs, I'm probably not going to listen to Dave Matthews. That is a first as far as the answers go. I, I respect that. Absolutely. Um, all right. So the final question, I'm not going to let you wiggle out of. Uh, when you take all the music you've heard over the years and you boil it down to reduction, what I want to know is what that music means to you. What is the meaning of the music? It seems like a simple question, but if you look inward, it's had a lot more impact than, than anybody could could guess. So when you boil it all down, what's the, I hate using the word message or meaning, but that's what is the message or meaning uh, of the music of DMB as a whole, and how do you live that message? Well, uh, music in general really kind of saved saved my life. I don't know about saved my life, but really helped me. Um, I was I was struggling in college when I was when I was trying to find myself, and um, and music really helped. And then specifically for the Dave Matthews Band. Their music um, changed changed the sort of person I was, made me want to be a better person, made me think about life in a way that life and spirituality in a way that I hadn't thought of before. Um, I'm a I'm a kinder person because of their music. I'm a better husband and father because of their music. Uh, their music was played. At my wedding, it was played at my child's birth. It'll be played at my funeral. Uh, I just can't can't say enough the effect that their music and their fans have had on my and my family's uh, lives. All right, so to close it out, what we do is we open up the platform and let you talk about anything you want to talk about. It could be about your paintings, could retouch on the Christmas thing, organizations, charities, how to find you on social media. Take as much time, the floor is yours, and have at it. Okay, so I'd definitely like to talk about the, the scholarship that I started. Um, so in late 2012, I actually count it as 2013, I started uh, the One Sweet World Fund, which is a scholarship specifically for the art students at my high school. And to be eligible for the scholarship, the students, they need to be in my art class or they need to be in band and they need to be planning on majoring in either art or band in music. And so um, I give a portion of the profits from my website to the scholarship. But when you see my booth, uh, if you see the One Sweet World, Joshua Morton and the One Sweet World booth at a festival, I give 100% of the profits. And then any time that I'm lucky enough to work directly with the band or another charitable organization, I also give 100% of the profits. So in the last... Eight years, I have uh, personally donated almost $30,000 through the sale of my artwork to either the One Sweet World Fund or other charitable uh, organizations. 
So you can uh, find me on Instagram, um, Joshua Morton Art, uh, Facebook, same thing. Um, you can read more about the scholarship, a um, little bit more about my life. A lot of people always wonder how the heck wrestling and art go together. But I tell the story of the, the samurai warrior and how they would always choose an, an art form to balance out the warrior side of their personality. And so I kind of think of it like that. And then I also explain to both my students and my wrestlers that art and wrestling are very similar because you teach a kindergartner the same moves that an Olympic champion uses. The only difference is the Olympic champion's been practicing those moves for the last 30 years. Same thing with art. When, I'm, when you're teaching a beginning artist, you teach them the same things that an advanced artist knows. The only difference is the advanced artist has been practicing for a lot longer. So I think they're both really similar in the fact that they're a skill, mainly a skill. And the more time you commit to them and the harder you work at them, the better uh, you get at both of them. Um, I, th I think one the biggest thing that when I started this scholarship, I was I was just hoping that it was going to be huge. And I'm definitely proud of the fact that I have donated the amount of money that I've donated, but it's definitely never took off the way that I hoped it did. One of the big reasons for that is that uh, festivals are really expensive. So you start the summer $8,000 in the hole when you're doing the amount of festivals that we do. And you know, I spend three fourths of the summer just trying to get back to even. Um, and I always kind of like my dream is that a band that I love will come to me and say, Hey man, we, we see what you're doing. We would love to help. Like, how can we help? Because right now I've got over 200 paintings and they're almost all of musicians. And these are, some of these are big. Some of the, like most of my paintings, a small painting is like two by three feet. A big painting is five by seven feet. My classroom's full. My house is full. And I just have all these paintings that are just sitting. Some of them are sitting in closets or drawers and they've been there for 15 years. And I would just love to do something with them, uh, get it into someone's house who's going to love it and then give the profits to that scholarship. So I'm putting it out there. I was just talking uh, to my wife and we were coming home from Twiddle about, you know, uh, I'm putting it out there to the universe. This is, this is my goal is that, is that before I leave, this, this job, I've got another, oh, probably 15 years that I'm going to teach at this high school. Before I leave, I would love to get this scholarship up to, you know, the fund up to 100000 or 150000 to a point where every year I could give a full ride to an art school to one of my students. Like, that's my goal. That's what I'm, go um, I'm hoping for. Uh, and I'm going to spend the next 15 years working for it. Again, folks, make sure you check the episode notes page for this interview. There's going to be a lot of, of info there and links to where you can check out everything uh, Joshua has talked about during the interview today. Uh, he's doing some very good things and inspired by music all throughout. Um, it's just an amazing story. And it's, you know, when I ask people what the meaning of DMB music is to them, for me personally, it's, it's love, period, but do something with it. 
period. Uh, it's, it's great to feel the love, to get that, that energy from the music, but it's what you do with it that matters. You have to do something. You have, there are too many people out there in some sort of need. It can be emotional. It can be financial. Do something with the love. Um, and hearing your story and what you're doing and then your goals that are so completely unselfish is the epitome of what that is to me is, is you, you have this love, however you found it, and maybe you pieced it together along the way. And then the music solidifies that love, but then you do something with it. So uh, congratulations on where you've come so far. And I have nothing but, but high hopes for the future of this. And, and we can talk later off, off the interview, but if I can ever help, if you need any graphics done or signage or videos or gear like shirts or whatever you might need and you need them customized, uh, I'm here for you and I'll do, do everything I can to make that happen. Welcome to the final segment for today, The Way I Heard It. We know there is such diversity within the DMB family, or community, and for this reason alone, there will be differences in how we all interpret the music and the lyrics. Each week, we select a song and ask several fans to break down the song the way they heard it. Take a listen. Perhaps you would have heard the song in the same way, or perhaps you'll find a new appreciation of the song discussed. Enjoy! Hey everybody, this is Bob Fusen, everybody's favorite Leroy Moore biographer, and I'm here to talk about one of my favorite DMB songs, and I think one of the quintessential DMB songs, Tripping Billies. I'm so grateful for the opportunity to be able to talk about these songs that I know and, and love, like the back of my hand, and this one is one of my favorites. I think if you were going to make a list of the essential Dave Matthews Band songs, Tripping Billies would have to be up there near the top, uh, maybe just under Ants Marching. The reasons for that are pretty simple. One, I think it showcases a lot of what DMB is about. First of all, um, just incredible drumming. I mean, incredible jazz fusion drumming. And I know they say that about just about every song that I, I talk about. But I do want to dive into a little bit of what makes the drumming on this song so special. And I've talked about this, I think, before, the difference between jazz drumming and rock drumming. And it's very evident in, in this selection, the way Carter plays. You always get that snare on beats two and beats four. And then everything else around it is just so unbelievably amazing and, and ridiculous. Um, all of the little variations on the hi-hat, the little cymbal changes... Um, the way he links up the bass drum with Stefan's bass, um, it's all very, very cool and very kind of interlocking rhythmically. Of course, that also goes with the guitar part that Dave is playing, which is also incredibly rhythmic. It's just a really unique song in that it has a verse. It has a chorus, but you could make the argument that the, the Why Would You Care part is a pre-chorus and that the actual chorus is just Tripping Billies, which is a really short chorus. Of course, the phenomenal, energetic high-intensity fiddling of Boyd Tinsley in the old versions is uh, is just... I mean, that's that's. I mean, we all know that's the song that brought Boyd into the band. And for good reason, I think it showcases what he does best, which is really, really 
uh, super rhythmic, high intensity fiddling. Um, I'm not going to dive into the whether it's better with Boyd or not debate, but I will say that that Tripping Billy's gave me a real appreciation for for Boyd and what he's able to do and the energy he's able to bring. There's a lot of debate in music about uh, talent uh, versus education. Uh, whether someone has natural abilities or they can learn a certain way. And you see this all the time, especially in popular music, musicians who don't have a lot of formal education but still manage to write amazing, amazing music. DMB features a lot of, of those kinds of people from both sides of the spectrum. And, you know, in my opinion, the best path is always both when you have a, a, a solid foundational knowledge but are able to let it go and kind of let emotions take over. And I think Boyd always did that very well on, on Tripping Billies. It's, a, it's kind of a reimagining of old bluegrass fiddling against this kind of really interesting fusion rock sound and, and all of that. It's it's a little bit surprising to some folks that this is one of my favorites because there is so very little saxophone on this. But I think it really highlights one of the things that Leroy was incredible at, which is coming up with parts, writing his own parts to the songs. There's no big solo in Tripping Billies for Leroy. It's, it's basically a Boyd feature, and I would go so far as to say also sort of a, a Carter Beaufort feature. But there's not really much for Leroy. Um, earlier versions had some some interesting diversions for him. In fact, um, I love the old nature intros. Um, I love when the nature intro shows up. I love the old ones where they jam on it for a little bit. And for those of you who might not be aware, it's called the nature intro because there's a song by a band called The Samples that DMB used to tour around with in the early 90s. Uh, the Samples are a great, a great 90s band, and you should check them out if you haven't yet. But they have a song called Nature, and uh, Dave used to kind of interpolate the lyrics from Nature into that intro before Tripping Billy started. Um, it's something DMB does quite frequently. I'll also shout out here, there are several shows between the samples and DMB where they guest back and forth. I don't have the dates offhand. I believe it's September of 93 could be 94. Uh, I don't have the DMB Almanac up with me to check, but I'm sure you folks can find out. Anyway, there was a series of shows where Dave had to go back to South Africa. I think that's when his uh, sister passed away. And so Boyd and Leroy guest uh, with the samples. The samples take over, I think, uh, a couple shows they had booked. It's a great show full of great samples tunes. Boyd and Leroy sound amazing. There are also a few sample shows where Dave guests uh, on vocals and guitar on a few songs. Those are all over YouTube. Very, very good recordings. Uh, two great 90s bands. I would highly recommend you check those out. So, some of my favorite versions of Tripping Billies. For me, of course, I'm partial to studio versions a lot just because it gives a really nice blueprint for the song. So, I do really like the studio version. There's a couple things in the studio version I'm not super fond of. For example, they take out uh, Carter's double bass drum thing on the second violin break, but his drumming on that track, on the studio track, is really just pure genius. Um, really pure genius. And and I, I, I've broken that down a, a, a few times. There's a, a point in the studio track where he uh, he just, he plays this break and it's just on the snare drum, right? And it's And it's so different from what from all the other crazy ambidextrous things that he is doing. It's just a nice little bit of, of musicality there showing uh, something a little bit different than what he's doing. So I really like the studio track. Uh, obviously, Live at Red Rocks is uh, a favorite of mine. 
favorite of everybody's. That's such, such a good show. Um, I'm really partial to the, uh, to the Wetlands version. That's, uh, it's a live tracks. Of course, the number escapes me. Um, as I'm getting older, the, the, the numbers escape me, but the one from the Wetlands Preserve is really, really, really incredible. So I, I highly recommend that one, but I will say, uh, my favorite ones other than, uh, of course, the ones that I have seen live. Live Track 17, Shoreline Amphitheater. I love this version for a couple of really unique reasons. One, um, if you know this Live Tracks, you know that something happens to Dave's guitar. I think a string breaks, and so Carter and Stefan are forced to kind of loop a section of it for a bit while Dave gets his guitar tended to. But it's just such an incredible example of their musicianship. They just lay down this groove. Uh, Carter gets really, really kind of into some some wood blocks and some cowbell things and just and really makes something that could have been uh, a train wreck or a disaster in the hands of lesser musicians a really beautiful musical moment. So I love that groove on that. The other reason that I like that version so much is after that... Uh, little incident with the guitar, they just crank up the energy. I mean, they just, the the violin solo and Carter's drumming throughout that is just so unbelievably incredible. So that's probably my favorite version. I highly, highly recommend you check that out. Uh, another uh, version that I really, really like is from Crashing the Quarter that has the nature intro, as does the, the live track 17 version. Both have the nature intro. It's a really just solid uh just a really solid example of a live version of that song. I have a theory that Tripping Billies is kind of one of those songs that made the band so big because the energy coming off that stage, even if it was just the five of them, is just unmatched. I mean, just incredible all of the power that comes through on that song. One of my own personal favorites uh, of Tripping Billies is also Live at Luther College. Uh, That version is just so so chill and so relaxed and it's such a vibe and you really get a sense for what the song is about which as we all know is a something of an acid trip that happened in south africa if you know your your dmb history but the song is really like nothing nothing i've I've ever heard before The, the guitar part is so interesting and rhythmic and it moves between chords and and picked lines, uh, the drumming is is just out of this world. The bass line that's laid down, the saxophone parts complement the violin perfectly. The great violin solo. I mean, it's it's just it's really such a unique song, and I think a cornerstone of their catalog. One last little interesting thing about Tripping Billies. <clears throat> Tripping Billies uses a really interesting set of chords that Dave likes a lot. There are a lot of songs where he uses these chords in different configurations. And one of the songs that we all know very well that uses one of these configurations is Gray Street. So Gray Street and Tripping Billies kind of have the same DNA. And I think it's really brilliant how those two songs are constructed, kind of almost out of the same fabric. And they're, they're almost kind of the same position in the catalog, these really high-energy anthems. Interesting to point out that one features Boyd, and the other features Leroy at the end in the older versions, but uh, check it out sometime when you're listening. You could really easily mash those two uh, those two up um, because the chords are, are very, very similar, just in a different configuration. So Tripping Billy's Gray Street kind of cut from the same cloth. 
Uh, thank you to Drew for, for letting me do this. Um, he's been so, so patient with me. Everybody's lives are crazy because of COVID and everything. But honestly, one of my favorite things to do in the world is, is talk DMB and talk DMB tunes. Tripping Billies is, is one of the quintessential Dave Matthews band songs. And I'm, I'm really, really glad I got a chance to talk about it. Uh, Hit me up if you want. I'm on social medias. I love to talk about Leroy. I spent so much time studying Leroy. Went to Charlottesville, talked to a bunch of people. So I always put out this little thing at the end. If you want to chat Leroy, check out my website. Find me on social media. Um, I'd love to talk to you and answer any questions you have. Thanks. We want to give a special thanks to our guests and co-contributors for this episode of the podcast. Without your valuable contributions, we wouldn't be able to continue. We hope that you've enjoyed our deep dive into the music of DMB and the community that supports them. You can find us on all social media platforms by searching DMB On Demand. Visit us on dmbondemand.com for DMB-related merch and to learn more about DMB On Demand. Until next time, don't burn the day away.